Welcome to this Edge Church podcast. We are a people whose mission is to know Christ, be the church, and serve our community. We pray you are blessed and equipped by this message. Joshua chapter 24. I want to take you to the book of Joshua chapter 24. I feel like I've got a prophetic word, not just for this house, but also what God has been stirring even in my own heart for, I think, the body of Christ. And I want to share that with you today um, as I really just begin to ponder on what the next season looks like for the church, not just here uh, in Adelaide, not just for your church, but the church across our nation. Um, God led me to Joshua chapter 24, and it says this in verse 13, I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Say, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Today I want to speak to you on the subject, choose for yourselves this day. Choose for yourselves this day. This is quite an extraordinary text. And as we get to the, this, this chapter in Joshua chapter 24, we find that Joshua is now an older leader. How many of you have heard of the, the person Joshua in the Bible? Yep. If you have no context for it, Joshua was uh, one of the, the, the key characters in the Old Testament. He took over the leadership of Moses. Moses was tasked with delivering over a million Jews out of slavery, out of Egypt. Joshua takes on the leadership of, um, of Moses and he kind of leads them out of the wilderness era and now into the promised land. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is now an older leader. He's about 110 years old. Many battles have been won by the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership. Much of the promises of God that they were waiting for throughout the, the slavery era as well as the wilderness era had now begun to be fulfilled through the life of Joshua. At this particular timeline point of view, when, uh, we, we see a lot having changed from Joshua chapter one, two, three, four, five, and six, when they first enter into the promised land, when Joshua was just a young leader, he sees this pre-Christ apparition who says, be strong and courageous, am I not with you? So much has changed in a quarter of a century between then and now. The people of Israel, after 25 years, by the time we get to Joshua chapter 24, had begun to settle. There's a whole generation of young adults under 25 years old that had never have no grid for what it's like, not just to be in slavery, but they have no grid for what it's like to taste manna from the ground. There's a whole generation of young adults that have no grid for what it's like to taste the flesh of quail that was divinely provided by God, to taste water from the rock of Rephidim, to experience what it's like to have cloud cover by day, pillar of fire by night, shoes that never wore out. They don't have any grid for any of that. By the time we get to Joshua chapter 24, there's a whole generation that don't have no concept of the 10 plagues, have no concept of the seas that have parted. And so what is happening here was that there's a whole generation now that may have probably seen their parents fight battles, but now the people that have even fought battles in the generation before, the warriors, had now become settlers and town planners. 
So by the time we get to the book of Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is identifying the nation of Israel or God's people at a critical juncture in their history. The irony of all of this is that when God's people were in slavery, they were incredibly united. In fact, the Bible tells us that they grew so much in number, there was not a lot of, uh, not, not any real records of the nation of Israel intermarrying with Egyptians and all of that sort of stuff. They really stuck together. They became a formidable number. And by the time they were in the wilderness, they, they, their number had, had become so large that by the time they entered into the promised land, they had become a formidable fighting force. But only after 25 years here in Joshua chapter 20, that now begun to settle. What Joshua had observed about the nation of Israel was that they were still all busy. They were just busy doing different things to the generation before. They were busy doing settling things. They were busy doing uh, um, town planning things. They were busy doing other things that had caused them to veer from the original posture of their forefathers of serving Jehovah and Jehovah alone. They had now started to enjoy the fruit of their farming and industry and commerce and in their hearts that started to come a bit of a dilution. They started to embrace and entertain some of the practices of the Amorites. They started to entertain some of the ideologies of the, of the Ammonites. They, had to, they, they started to entertain some of the worship practices of the Jebusites and the Hittites and, and maybe some of the Vegemites. I don't know. But what was happening here in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua was observing that an entire generation now had allowed themselves to be diluted in their once all-in, all-committed service, reverence, and worship of the one true living God. And so out of all of the things he could have said at the end of his life, he chooses to say this. I'll read it again for you, Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Now, modern day Israelite nation settled in Canaan people. Whether you're gonna choose the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I'm determining not to dilute myself and we will serve the Lord. I'm wondering today, Eighth Church, if you can see some parallels with this text with a modern Australian church. Come on now, somebody. I'm wondering if you can start to see some of the things that maybe Joshua was trying to address right here. Now, some of you are thinking, hold up, hold up now, Asian, bold Asian dude from Perth. I know that maybe I'm not like the most regular person at, at church, but you know, it's a, it's a far stretch to say that, that, that I bow to other gods. Can I suggest to you today that, that this has nothing to do with doubting your faith, but I've even discovered in my own life, there are seasons or even different times in the week where I find myself pulled away from my affections to my God onto other things that take me away from intimacy with God. How many of you can relate to that? Come on. What I sensed in my own heart was that I can still find myself bowing to other gods, quote unquote, the gods in the land that we dwell. Do you know that Australia, in this latest census, we've now dropped under 50% where people have ticked, I believe in God. In the last five years between 2016 and 2021, we've lost a million people that ticked in 2016, I believe in God or I'm a Christian, to now ticking, I do not believe in God, I do not have a religion, a million. So Christianity is in rapid decline. So most of Australia now would identify as agnostic or atheist. I would probably suggest to you that that's actually not 
factually true because the definition of a God is whomever or whatever you pay homage to, what you regularly worship, what you invest your money with, where you focus your energies on, where you prioritize your life. And on that account, I wanna suggest to you that Australia actually has a lot of gods. The God of sport. Come on now. The God of social media. You guys are getting too quiet for me, Ed's Church. Come on. All the other campuses are agreeing with me. Come on. The God of busy activity. The God of the new kitchen bench. The God of the caravan and the new car. The God of the job promotion. The God of the pay rise. Come on, are you out there? So coming out of the pandemic in in 2023, I just really heard in my spirit this phrase, this calling out, this renewed invitation by God to His people again, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's a call out again. And so today I wanna unpack for you, exegete the Scripture out of this one single phrase, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. I'm gonna break it down to five words or phrases. Firstly is the word choose. Do you understand that we all have a choice? Come on now, you are here by choice. No one forced you to be here. We all have a choice on whom or what we serve. No one lives with a gun pointed at their head to serve Jesus. We are all here willingly choosing to engage in worship. And, 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 and so, so we've got to take responsibility for the fact that, so I've been a pastor for a really long time and, and the conversations that I have, oh man, one guy said to me, oh, you know, it's the pandemic. You know, I got into this bad habit. I started to just golf about four times a week and I really love it now, etc. It's like, dude, you still have a choice. You guys are getting too quiet for me now. I'm not talking this side. You still have a choice. We like to blame what we serve on circumstances and changing things around us, but God still reminds us that you can still choose. You still have a choice. When it comes to living for God, you have a choice. Whether you're in Adelaide or Bristol or Melbourne, or maybe you're watching online, Singapore, New York, you still have a choice. Secondly, the second part of the phrase is for yourselves. So choose for yourselves. Here's the thing, Ed's Church, no one can do it for you. If you're a husband here and you think that your wife can do all the praying for you, that's not how it works. You gotta choose for yourselves who is going to be the Lord of your life. No one can choose for you. If you're a youth or a young adult in this room, I wanna suggest to you that you can't rely on the prayers of your parents. Come on, you need a resounding amen from this room. Bro, all the parents, I'm batting for you here. Come on. If you're a youth or a young adult, you gotta choose for yourselves. Choose for yourselves. This day is the third part of the phrase. This was what Joshua was charging the current generation of God's people. There is a sentiment today where we kind of choose immediately things that gratify us, but we delay choosing the things that may cost us. And so what happens is that people often say, oh, I received Jesus but I'll wait until I get married before I'm all in or go to a G3 circle. I'll wait until my business settles. Oh, this is getting real now. Come on now. I'll wait till later till my small business slows down a little or or I I get more staff. I'll wait till after I finish my studies. I'll hold up until until after a holiday to commit to that. The Bible says, choose 
for yourselves this day. We don't know how long we have on this earth. It's time for Red's Church to choose for yourselves this day. What am I doing? I'm awakening again the urgency in the Australian church that would choose immediately things that gratify, but delay things that sacrifice. To Come on, are you out there? The church is gonna come back to an urgency again to choose. See, we readily receive Jesus as Savior. Why? Because there's all of the benefits that come with receiving Jesus as Savior. But to live like He's Lord, hold up a second. I'm gonna wait till things get better in my life before I truly live under the Lordship of Christ. I wanna suggest to you today, choose for yourselves this day. Come on now. This day, 18th of June, 2023, come on, choose for yourself this day. Fourth aspect is whom. Choose for yourselves this day, whom. Whom is the object of our worship, the object of our prioritization? Sometimes we don't even realize whom or what we've made into a God. That whole generation of Israelites in Joshua chapter 24 hadn't realized that by allowing or integrating ideologies, practices, behaviors, cultures, and customs from the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, and the Vegemites, and the Horonites, they had allowed other things to take the throne of their heart. I'm actually of the view that this question, whom are you serving, is probably best asked not by new believers, but by people that have been following Jesus a really long time. I've been a Christian for a really long time and I often audit my own heart. Who is on the throne of Ken Lee's heart? That is both a healthy and a scary question to ask. This generation of God's people that Joshua had been addressing had been out of slavery a really long time. They've been now 25 years out of the wilderness. They've forgotten what they've been saved from because they're now enjoying what they've been saved to. Oh, you guys not catching this. For so many of us in the Australian Christian church, maybe we've been walking with Jesus a really long time. We've survived the pandemic. We're back at church, but we understand and enjoy what we're saved to, but it's been so long since we've realized what we've been saved from. It's time again to restore the freshness of the worship and the hunger and the desire for Almighty God, for the one true living God, for Jehovah, for Jesus Christ, not just our Saviour, but our Lord, to be back on the throne of our heart again. Someone say amen. Amen. Choose for yourselves this day whom, the fifth part of that is you will serve. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That word serve is such a rich word. Here in a modern church context, we use that to think, I need to get on a roster. I need to do my once in three week commitment for one service here at whatever campus or location that I'm in. But the word serve in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word albard, meaning to be bound to as in a bond servant and a slave to serve another or labor for and be subject to. No wonder we don't like that definition because we would have no one volunteering. But the picture of this is a posture, not an act. Do you understand that? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, who you will, you will allow your heart to be bound to. There's the posture of, of bowing down to. Biblical wisdom tells us that we're all bound to something 
or someone, some of you are saying, hold up, you know, if I'm a Christian, Christ has set me free. I'm not a slave to anything or anyone. I can, I can see why you say that and to a, to, a, to, a, to a degree that's theologically true, but the Bible actually highlights that biblical wisdom actually tells us that we're all bound to something or someone, whether we're Christian or not. See, we're bound to whatever it is we deploy our time, our talents, our energies, our focus and our priorities to. And you'll see in a minute, what you give your allegiance to is what you actually a bond servant or a slave too. This is what Paul says in Romans 6. If you don't believe me, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves or bow down or obard yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What is that saying? Is that you're either one or the other. You're either bound to a worldly life or you can choose to be bound to the one true living God. True freedom is not being found in doing whatever you wanna do. True freedom for a believer is choosing for yourselves this day to be bound to a life in Christ. I need a resounding amen from Edge Church today. That's the true freedom that comes in saying, God, my life is nothing without you. I am here because of you and I'm choosing you today. All that I am is because of all that you've done for me and I don't wanna allow my life to steer away from the beautiful life-giving truth that you are all that I need. See, there is something very powerful about this moment that Joshua was bringing to the, to the nation of Israel, to God's people. I believe that there's also a clarion call for the modern Australian church. Choose for yourselves again this day. It's like Jesus is saying, would you choose me again? I know that across the pandemic, you might have chosen other things as well, but I'm asking you today to choose me again. Come on, I don't wanna be, I wanna, I wanna be a Christian, but be bound by my property portfolio and all the share prices up and downs and my caravan and my new boat. And none of those things are wrong, but I know what I was created to do, which is to worship Him and worship Him alone. It's time for the church to reawaken again, to choose for ourselves this day whom we will serve. You know, the Israelites towards the end of, Joshua's leadership, they were well free of slavery. But Joshua found that just because they were free from slavery, it didn't mean that they were bound, not bound or prone to bowing down to other things. Their hearts had started to find the ways of the Amorites appealing, some of the practices of the Jebusites appealing, some of the ways and cultures and customs of the gods of the land started to become appealing. What essentially Joshua was calling them towards in just this passage in Joshua chapter 24, to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, he was really calling them to a place of repentance. Repentance is a dirty word in church these days, but the original translation of repentance is simply the Greek word metanoia, to change your thinking or to turn from one thing towards another. So essentially what Joshua was charging them to do was to turn their hearts away from dilution of the gods of the land, to kind of half worship Jehovah, but half worship other things and turn towards fully devoting their life to Jehovah again. As I began to just ponder 
this, I, I went away on the holidays at the start of the year and I just began to talk to God about, God, what, what, what is it that you're wanting to say for this next season? 2023 felt like a start of a new year, start of a new thing now that things have started to reopen. You know, what even is, is coronavirus? No one knows and no one cares anymore. Um, I, oh, I don't, anyway. Um, and it just started to feel like the borders are reopening, people are traveling again, life is, is what is it that you want out of, from, from the church again? What do you want from my church again? And, and, and through my life, I've, I've began to ponder the outpourings of God, I began to ponder the sovereign moves of God that I can remember in my own lifetime. And as I began to think about the times when God has really moved on the church, moved on the body of Christ, there were actually different seasons. But my, my earliest memories of God moving was when I was probably a, a young adult and uh, there, was, there was an uncommon outpouring in a city in Canada called Toronto. It was that, how many of you are old enough to, rem- to remember the Toronto outpouring? Yep, some of you really, really bold showing your age there. Fantastic. You're in my camp. Um, I, and I remember that, that season we were watching video footage of people that were in their Sunday best, women in hats, men in suits, and they were rolling around altar call areas laughing. And there was, see, that was necessary at the time because God was shaking up religiosity out of the church. Just a few years later, there was another uncommon outpouring in a, in, in a, in a city in a southern state of the US called Florida in a city called Pensacola. How many of you remember the Pensacola outpouring? It was in that outpouring or that revival, that move of sovereign move of God that we saw probably close to 200,000 people get saved. It was footage of gang members putting their gang colors on the altar, weapons being put down on the altar, mass people just giving their life to Jesus, coming up off the streets. We saw gang members, we saw criminals, we saw petty thieves, we saw prostitutes. Just, it was just like this, this renewal of evangelism of the heart of God for lost people. Just at the start of this year, we saw another uncommon outpouring in, in unknown places like universities. We saw young people, young adults particularly, in one university in a place called Asbury, Kentucky. How many of you heard of the Asbury outpouring? This was not an outpouring of suited up, Sunday best people rolling and laughing, shaking off religiosity because that was needed for that era. We didn't see mass convergence of people to Christianity because that's not what this outpouring was about. What we saw in January, February and March this year for these 24 seven outpourings of God in the university at Asbury, Kentucky and also many other tertiary institutions in the United States was Christians repenting. It was Christians saying, God, forgive us for allowing our hearts to steer away from all Honour and worship to you and you alone. You gotta understand God is reawakening again. He wants to come back for an undiluted bride. Somebody needs to say amen. He doesn't wanna come back to a bride that's two-timing him during the week. He's coming back for a bride who chooses for themselves again this day whom she will serve. Somebody at Ed say amen today, come on. Can I suggest to you that there is a call again that Jesus is essentially saying to his church, will you choose me again? 
sir, madam, suburban person in Adelaide, suburban person in Bristol, suburban person in Melbourne, will you choose me again? Will you make a decision in this coming next season of your life that you're gonna come back to a place where you are bowing down, you are reverencing again, your life is posturing again for what it actually means to receive the beauty and the power and the fullness of Jesus. When you step into all that Jesus is, you're gonna be ruined for all else. Joshua chapter 24 only happened because the whole generation of Israelites had forgotten how wonderful Jehovah was. They'd forgotten. They'd never tasted the manna and the quail and the pillar of fire by night, cloud covered by day. They'd never experienced the wonder of shoes that never wore out. They'd never experienced the, 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 just the majesty of seas parting. They didn't see any of that. And so they've lost their wonder. It's time for the church to reawaken again. And when you understand the once and for all power of what the blood of Jesus has done, fall in love with Him again. And you'll never want to allow your heart to be allegiance to anything else. Come on, it's church. It's time for us to truly know Christ. The reason why I think repentance has been thrown, so, so thrown out in church life is because repentance has always been partnered in the old days with condemnation. But I don't know if you know that, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness, the beauty, power, and majesty of the finished work of God, of, of Jesus on the cross that has caused me to turn away from and toward. There is this calling again to the church to choose for ourselves this day whom we will serve. And when you understand the beauty and the power and the majesty of Jesus, your Savior and your Lord, you're gonna be ruined for all else. I need a resounding amen from church today. Can I go a little deeper with you for the next few minutes? I want you to ponder what it means to have your heart bowing down, allegiance to posture towards and all in life with Christ, what it means to say, God, you are my number one. There is no greater priority than you. Because this is what I've learned after pastoring our own church for close to two decades now. And it's this, is that whom or what you choose to serve will be all you've got to help you when you're actually in the fire of life. That's all that you're gonna have to help you when you're in the fire of life. I'll, I'll qualify that statement in just a moment. But who or what you give your allegiance to, that's actually all that you've got to lean on when your life actually hits the wall. The greatest litmus test as to where or whom has your heart will not be in the good times and when things are going well, it will be when you get a life-altering event. Come on now. When there's a crisis in your family, when your health hits the wall, when your life is threatening to unravel financially or relationally, there are the moments in your life where you get, where what is on the throne of your heart actually gets to be tested because all that you've got to lean on in those times when your life hits the wall is who you've been bowing down to. Can I suggest to you today, there are the seasons when you realise Sunday cricket's not gonna help your now young adult son who's addicted to drugs because he's got on the wrong crowd. Come on. That's when you start to realise when you have a health crisis, you start to realise that that caravan's not gonna heal you. Getting real now. That's when you start to realize that new kitchen bench is not gonna save your marriage. That new car is not gonna help that depression. See, what you bow down to is what? Is all that you've got to lean on when you're actually in the fire. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, we see a nation of Israel, not in the promised land, but they're in a different era. 
They're under the Babylonian era. And it was in this season that the Babylonians had captured God's people. And they were ruled by an evil king, very conniving, very strategic king called Nebuchadnezzar. His whole game was to enculturate God's people to almost enforce Babylonian ideology on their way of thinking. And what he would do was that he would force all his conquered nations to bow down to the ways of the Babylonians. He would teach them their culture, he'd teach them their language. And this one instance, his own advisors appealed to his ego and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to build a golden statue and you need to make not just the Babylonians, but all of your conquested nations also bow down to this Babylonian statue. You need to see whether they truly are with you or not by making them obard, bow down, posture in service, show their allegiance to the statue of you as a religious icon. Now, how many of you know that if you, if you thought vaccination mandates were, were pretty rough, this was like a really, really legit, harsher mandate, okay? Just getting it out there. That was funnier back in my home church. <laughs> but this was the consequence. For anyone that doesn't bow down, we will throw you into a furnace and burn you alive. How many of you know that if that is the consequence, a whole lot of people switch allegiances that day? except for three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible reads this, Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we albard is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not obard your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Oh man, can we have some Australian churches that have that sentiment? At this reply, the king was enraged and he ordered his guards to throw them into the fire. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Are they not hurt? And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Can I suggest to you that those of you that are on pastoral staff, we would be out of work completely if our church understood who to bow to. Because who you've got to when you're, who you've got to lean on when your life hits the wall is only ever proven when you're in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided that day, chose for themselves that day who they were going to obard. And in the fire, There was not three men, but four. I'm wondering today at Edge Church, whatever is coming your way in the next season of your life, next two, three, four, five, six, eight, 10 years of your life, I wonder today whether the fire will find out who you've been bowing down to. My prayer for you is that today you make a decision who you'll be choosing and you'll pass on to the next generation, not the gods of the Amorites or the Ammonites of the ways of the world, but you're gonna choose an undying and undevoted love for the beauty and the power and the majesty of King Jesus. We sing you rule and you reign, but are we serious about letting Him rule and reign? My prayer for us today is that 
The invitation to return back to choosing Jehovah, choosing Jesus becomes our reality as the modern day church. Will crisis expose who we've been bowing down to? When we hit that cliff edge with a diagnosis, I'm not speaking bad about your future, but I'm saying that this life just happens, right? Come on now, can we get real? Stuff happens in life. And when stuff happens in life, will you be found to have been bowing down to other things or will you be found with a fourth man in the fire? I don't know about you today, but I think Jesus wants to take back his church. I think Jesus wants to be in the driver's wheel again of our lives. He wants to be the decision maker for us again. He wants to be the one that helps us plan our future. He wants to be the one that takes control over our agendas. He wants to be the one that rules and reigns again. He wants to be the one that which, he's the, he wants to be the last person we, we speak to before we go to sleep and the first person we speak to when we wake up in the morning. He wants, he wants again, wants to be the one that replaces the, the, the social media scrolling of the hour. Come on now. He wants to be the one that replaces the Netflix binges again in the modern day church. He wants once again to be restored back to our conscious awareness that He is Lord of all. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Come on, would you stand to your feet right across this room and all musicians, come and join me quickly. Come and join me quickly. I really feel a shift in the atmosphere this morning. God wants to really minister. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment right across this room. The keyboard player could just come right now and Ben, just come with your team. Just begin to cover me. If you're in the room today or maybe you're watching through the stream right now, just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If the prayer of your heart today is, God, I wanna, I wanna make that statement with conviction as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, just begin to lift your hands. If, if, if maybe you're here today and in the honesty of your own heart and in your space, you're saying, God, I've actually allowed myself at times to find other things appealing. I've been distracted. Maybe I haven't been disobedient, but I've been distracted. I've allowed other things to busy my life, to clutter up my life. I've allowed other things, the activity, things that, are, that, 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 that have come between the intimacy of my heart and your heart to come in. I've allowed things to drive a wedge between us. God, today I repent, I metanoia, I turn away from in order to turn back to you. It's not that you've been living in sin, it's just that your heart at times has been cluttered up with other things. Today, right now you're choosing for yourself this day. Others here, you've allowed yourself to settle. You've allowed yourself to settle. You've forgotten what you've been saved from. And so maybe you've lost the edge and you're part of a church that says, would you, would you gather, would you grow and would you go? But when you go, you feel like you've lost your edge. The, 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 the living testimony on the inside of you is not real anymore. But today you're saying, God, I'm choosing this day who my heart will bow down to. I'm returning again to, a, to just an, an on the edge testimony and on the edge faith again. I'm getting my edge back with you. Begin to lift your hands if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Others here, there is a calling and destiny over your life that has been obscured and been buried over by life stuff. It's just like there's been 25 years of living in Canaan. It's been buried over stuff. Just suburban mundane life has buried. There was once you were a warrior, you were taking ground. But across a period of time, you found yourself settling. You become a spiritual town planner instead of a spiritual warrior. You become a spiritual settler. And God is almost putting like a sword back in your hand. I see this prophetically for some people. 
and He's wielding, He's asking you to wield that sword again in your calling. There's latent prophets in this room. There's teachers, there are evangelists in this room. There are pastors and these gifts are dormant. There's an apostolic gift in this room here. Someone watching through the screen, God is reawakening again some things in you that maybe have lied dormant. It's time to choose for yourself again. Posture yourself again before the one who rules and reigns. Thanks for joining us today. Find more resources and discover what's next for you at edgechurch.com.